and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith, and I'm the tech editor at Resonant Advisor. This week's exchange is with Ivan Smark. Fed up with the domination of house and techno, he co-founded the Kill the DJ club night and label in the early 2000s. He became known for his eclectic mixing style, but in conversation with Ryan Keeling, he displays a refreshing ambivalence toward club culture. His take on its boom and bust cycles indicates a broader perspective on music, which is borne out in the details of his fascinatingly varied career. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at resonantadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Ivan Smog is up next. This is over. This is over. You can't see, can't stand the side of what I've warned you'll be. You've had enough warning to last a lifetime. Or at least an hour and a half. Enough fallout to sterilize millions in life. Or at least millions in air. Enough, enough. I've had enough defense I've had enough defense To be simple How optimistic are you feeling generally about nightlife in London at the moment? Well, I mean, it's fairly obvious nightlife in London's had a clampdown. The Danston Hall situation, which is a smaller club in Dalston, was exactly the same. You know, they, they, they didn't shut it. What they did is like, okay, no, you know, a license is usually for five years, I think. So they had a late night license and suddenly their license was like kind of normal license. So they had shirt too. And Dan was like, well, if I shirt too, I'm not going to make the cut. This model is not sustainable. Yeah, yeah, it's not sustainable. So, oh, that's gone. Then you get places like Shapes in Hackney Week. It's shut because the license was only temporary and you know they didn't the problem with london is that it's the city it's it's my favorite city in the world by far because of the people but it's also the city of greed so you have the land and the buildings like i mean hackney wick i don't know if you've been hackney wick recently but it's it's been flattened it's like hiroshima you know and that was the place for a lot of parties and it's gone it's gone. All the warehouses have gone and they're building condos. So we'll see what the mayor position is on that because ultimately there's been also the shift from London, who, which was the capital of nightlife, I'd say, uh, up until the, uh, the 2000, the noughties, and the shift to Berlin where the city is actually exploiting I mean, we can come back on that idea, which is, for me, then I've got another issue there. It's like because it becomes corporate clubbing, in, in my view, a little bit, you know. It's like the whole city is, like, kind of arranged. It's like there's a board of tourism for clubbing in Berlin. So that's been taken. And I've had talks, for instance, with the authorities in Paris, and they tell you, no, 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 if you want to go clubbing, you go to Berlin. Here it's not like that. Of course, you can, you can, there's clubs and you can do parties, actually more than in London now. But London, London's got a fight against money, you know, and against the constant 
gentrification of the urban space. We've seen that in Shoreditch, we've seen that in Dalston, we've seen that in Hackneywick. So what, clubs are gonna be pushed back in Walthamstow or, you know, in Lewisham, you know, mm. I mean. Does part of you think that that's just a natural byproduct of being in this subculture that we exist in? You know, do you think that's the reality of putting on parties in London in a way. Well, I mean, yeah, that's I was going to come to that. I mean, there's a lot of the reality of parties in London is about being illegal. I mean, I can support fabric, but I, I also support throwing an illegal party and not asking. And London's been pretty, and especially the police, has been pretty lenient over the last 20 years with that. I mean, I've seen them turning up and going, all right, well, that's the last time. That's their policy here is that they will come and tell you, right, you, you need to turn it down, but they won't arrest people. They won't shut it completely because they don't want chaos. So there still will be parties. There will be parties. But, you know, an illegal party means no medic, means no security. If something goes wrong, something goes wrong, you know. It's part of the game you know it's like i mean festivals are taking over big clubs are in a weird position where some of them work some of them don't small parties will always happen it's just a bit tough for like smaller places like or mid-range you know places like um there also seems to be this line of thinking at the moment that younger people are less minded to actually go to nightclubs and are maybe preferring like other activities to do is that something you've maybe noticed at your gigs I don't know I'm too old <laughs> um, um, are, you, are you seeing fresh faces I guess is what I'm no, asking I do. no I do I mean well maybe they're not fresh but they look fresh to me I mean I'm 45 so I'm obviously going to be a lot older than most of the people in the club you know what do they do then? I mean, so what, they're not clubbing? I mean, because you always hear that. I mean, we heard that like 10 years ago, like, oh, our kids are not into electronic music anymore. They're into rock. You know, I heard that a thousand times. Sure. And then something new comes up. Some of the electronic music is less of a clubbing variety, maybe. Yeah. Or more of a festival thing, of a live thing, maybe. So people think that there's more of an emphasis on saving up for one-off events like festivals or mm. like going on a city break or something like that. Uh, yeah, that, the city break thing, when that's the Berlin syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, or the, sure. Or like the Croatian syndrome or, oh, let's, let's go to Sonar or things like that, which for years was not done anymore. Uh, especially by English people. You English people would stay in London and club here. And it's true that more and more... I mean, Ibiza is a different thing, but it's true. There's there's package clubbing, package holidays. You just go... You probably hear no more, a, lot, a lot more about it than I do. But, yeah, it might be true that young people just choose to not go out every night. I mean, it's very hard for me to talk about this because I know... Everybody, we never pay. You know, we can go for five minutes. I don't even know how much it is to get into fabric, but I imagine it'd be, what, 15, 20 pounds? It's always tiered these days, so it could be anything between, like, 12 and 25 pounds. So it is, you know, if you... if you uh, Let's not be naive. If you top that with a few drinks and drugs, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a cheap night. So, yeah, I mean, and people are skint. 
people have got no money. You know, I know some young people, they've got enough money to go to work. You know, when they come back from work, that's it. They've got money for food. So, you know, maybe they do house parties and things like that. Or, you know, they do like what every kid's always done is like they get into the scene and they get on the guest list, you know. Sure. That's always been like that. That's nothing new here. All right, let's put a more positive spin on things. Radio in yeah. London seems to be thriving. Yeah. You've been on NTS for how long now? Two, three years. Uh, why did you choose to work with NTS? Well, actually, it's my, my girlfriend had a show on NTS before I did. And I don't know. They, I mean, NTS is, is quite a crazy story. I mean, I mean, that's true to them, but it's just from being a little London kind of thing to now being like a kind of global empire. I mean, Femi's opening NTS in LA, you know. They've got, I don't know, like about 400 shows on the radio. But I, I like them because it's they, they really don't care about the name of the person who does the show. Well, they do sometimes, they have guests and things, but it's not the thing about the music and any type of music. I mean, it's not Rinse FM. We're talking about a different approach. Sure. It's not an electronic music radio thing. No, 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 not, not at all. At all. It's a misconception. And for me, it's great because the radio, I've always completely split up radio from DJing. It's not for me the same thing I don't know anything more boring than doing a DJ set on the radio I hate it so I don't and they let me do that I do it with Nathan Wilkins we don't mix we don't play club music well we do if we want to but it's not I mean I'm going to say Rinse FM sorry it's, it's no dissing it's just it's not about DJs playing club music on the radio for you to turn up when you know then there's podcasts for them I mean this the radio situation has changed so much as well there's so much available at any time of anything but NTS is actually quite nice as a real radio meaning something you just turn on that's what radio is radio is not oh I want to hear the latest Ben Clock set and I'll go online and I, well, right. it's not on demand, is it? No, it's, it's well, it, it, you can have on demand on NTS, but it's sure, not but about like, historically. that. Historically, yeah, it's not about that. It's about oh, I like NTS because I'm just going to turn it on, leave it, and I'll probably be surprised. You know, sometimes I'm not going to like it, but so, so many shows, it's great. I mean, they're doing a t- tremendous job, I think, out of like. <laughs> room that is smaller than the one we're actually in on Gillette Square, you know, now they've got LA starting in September. I, just, I don't know, it's great, it's great. What do you do on your show? Tell us about it, what do you play? Channeling with Nathan Wilkins. Well, I've known Nathan for about more than 20 years. We're very old friends. It's a kind of a non-serious diggers program, you know. We both record diggers in some ways, you know. But there's something very always a bit serious and a bit pedantic about record digging. So it's not about that. It's not about that. It's just about playing records we like, you know. Old or new, very serious or very stupid. I mean, life's too short when it comes to music. You know, there's always some new stuff that you will like, there's always some old stuff you haven't discovered, you know. It's so endless that why would you... I know some people who genuinely only like one style of music or who for all their life have only listened to house music. I know I know people like that, 
Do you ever feel anxiety over what you just described? You know, this complete open-ended thing where you're constantly discovering and obviously like the world has opened up so much and we're discovering music from like all different continents. Like, does that ever overwhelm you or like concern uh, you that you're not going to get to No, I, I, I can totally see your point. Uh, I can totally see how it could, but that thing that I probably had when I was younger that I wanted to have everything is now anyway out of reach, you know, because of the digital, because of internet, because of the fact that, you know, you can get any record anytime you want pretty easily if you know the right people, if you go online, you know. So there's instant access, but instant access also means infinite possibilities. So, you know, you've got, comes a point where you go, no, it's fine if I miss something, you know. When I used to work in a record shop in the 90s, if I'd miss a record, I'd be absolutely fuming. We would have fight over records, you know. That's gone, you know. I don't, I don't care if, like, have you heard this? And I'm like, no, well, well, it was out two weeks ago. And I'm like, well, can I hear it? It's fine, you know. That cult of the new, in a way, has been centered by internet and all the digital availability but in a way it's been downplayed because it's like well there's so much on that you know who really cares and i mean i've got my own ways of finding records i'm a big Bandcamp fan for instance mm. more than any other platform but that's that's because of the discovery aspect of things and and not so no i can see why it could but you know Ultimately, you cannot have everything. I know some people who got like that kind of thing, but I, I, for many reasons, I mean, I lost loads of records back in the days as well in a fire, which put in the kind of like uh, my material word was a bit put my thinking and all. Yeah, my yeah. relation to the actual collection of records. For instance, I always say I don't collect records. Yeah, I will okay, buy okay. a record I like of any kind, even a very rare one, sometimes with quite a lot of money, but I'm not anal about it, you know. It's How many did you lose in the fire? About 30,000. Oh. So it's not like I need to have everything by them. Or I need to, you know. No, I do on some bands, but it's not... I would say now it's more about the music than the actual object, and, and I don't like paying loads of money for my records. Uh, I can do if I'm really after something, but, you know. What's the most you've dropped? It's, it, or or uh, what's, what's your upper bracket, would you say? My upper bracket, I mean, if I have to pay more than a £100 for okay, a record, okay. it's got to be, you know, it's got to be, and I don't think I have for a long time. No, I did recently actually, but it was like it was it was around that. You know, if it goes above that, then you enter the realm of like super rare record that everybody wants. And where is the point now? I'm more interested in something that no one knows and that I like than the holy grail of that that no one has. I know some people like that, like like Dave Hill's got like um used to run new phonic records I, i'm talking about him because i met him again the other day and he's got the most insane record collection especially reggae like that literally means that you know some of his records are like should be in a safe you know like they like they were one of two yeah. copies or something yeah or acetates from bon yeah, Marley, okay, okay you know or like things that actually don't even exist they were never made huh. you know? so i'm not like that i'm not like that 
it's more like I hear something and I'm like, this is so good, I really want it. So I'll find it. But it's not about, oh God, I need, you know, I'm not obsessive anymore. Uh, just going back to the radio thing quickly, mm. I know that you've been doing radio for a long mm. time, but mm. I don't know too much about the details of yeah. like, how you got started and where you got started. I mean, I did radio for, yeah, probably 10 years, like a bit less than 10 years on Radio Nova in Paris, which still is, but in, in many different ways. That, we're talking end of the 90s, early, no. no. We le- I finished radio, I left radio in 2000 when we started doing the club. I mean, I was a record shop assistant, you know, that it comes from there, and they needed people that knew about music. And that was when you were working at Rough Trade? Yeah, in Rough yeah. Trade in Paris. Uh, so I started doing Leo vignettes in other people's show. I got my own DJ show, then I did another show with the main guy, and then, and then suddenly one year... And they were like, right, well, we need someone to do the musical show, which is like two and a half hours every day, 7 p.m. till 9.30 p.m. And I had to do that for three years. Okay. That was just me introducing records and having guests and, you know, like what they do on BBC Six, but only every day, not every week. And it was quite intense. Those were quite intense two years, especially I was going out a lot at that time. But they're good memories. It was good fun. I did, you know, I met, I did 400 interviews over the space of like three huh. years, you know, from Ennio Morricone to, you know, Iggy Pop to like, and small bands, you know, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. anybody. But I'd, it was in those days on that radio, you had, I had total freedom. I mean, when, as soon as I signed on for that, I never had anyone saying, no, you can't play that or you need to play this or that. The only rule I was told was like, right, the first record of the show, don't play something that's eight minutes, please. You know, but that was it. We had total, I had no one, you know, I could swear. I mean, I used to do all the translation myself. You know, it was, it's not the B, it was not the BBC. It was just, you know, and then I did radio for the French BBC as well, a little bit. And then... So radio was like your main gig for a while. I mean, I was already DJing, but that was at the weekend. So I could do both, but it was my job. Yeah. Do you have a style? Do I have a style? Do you have like a presentation style or like is Uh, it someone you look up to? Well, I didn't know. The thing is I I was thrown in the water. You know, I'd never done proper radio when they said, well, you're going to talk. Because it was not not DJ. It was like actually playing one record and talking. So, uh, no. I mean, my producers to last days of the first shows, they're dreadful. I'm like, so no, it's the style of like, well, my luck, because it was in France, my luck was that I was fluent in English, so they did, I could translate and make it work as a, you know, English-French thing. So, I, well, maybe I do, you know. I've got a nasal voice, I know that. <laughs> it was really fun because there was no one to tell us what to do. So, you know, if someone was rude, you would tell him. If someone was behaving, like, um, badly in an interview, I would just go, well, can you leave now? You know, why was your English so good? I had an English girlfriend when in in the nineties in Paris. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in Paris. Yeah, I I pick up on accents weirdly enough. I used to be known to have a Brummie accent because all my friends are Brummies. Yeah, living in London with a Brummie. Mm, uh, that was before. That was when I used to live in Paris, 
and all my main friends, including Nathan and people who used to run Ideal Distribution, where all my friends and they were from Birmingham. I can put it on. I can put it back on if you want. Um, it's gone. It's gone because of London, you know, because I've been living here for ten years. But it was very strong, very very strong. So I guess the main thing that's going on in your life at the moment is the release of the It's a Fine Line album. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if it's the main thing that's going on. It's always been weird. Your yeah, thoughts at least. yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a weird thing when you make a record, especially someone that took so long for, but not for bad reasons to make. Um, what were the reasons? Because it, it sort of became a thing, didn't it? People were yeah. constantly you saying yeah, it's coming in. I just because we didn't want to rush, and it was just the way we were working, and we're like, oh well, you know. Then now we want to do this, and we want to do that. Um, it was not about you know making the perfect record or like. I mean, there was a lot of procrastination, <laughs> that's for sure. But in a good way, it was just like right. We're not in a rush we don't need to put that record out if you know it's not going to be a dj record so it, it's not a simple record we want to make and we want to make it the way you know there was no pressure i mean up to a certain point I, it's true that somebody became a bit silly because we thought we had done it and then we'd come back on things and but i didn't mind that but like for instance i, I did like i've just finished another one no, it's fine. I had a different project, and that took me six months. So, can you say what that is? Uh, yeah, it's it's Mag and Cross because the other guy's called Rupert Cross, and we've just finished it. I don't know when it's going to be released. Probably, you know, there's also that. There's also the time between. I mean, the It's a Fine Line album is coming out now, but it was finished about a year and a half ago. Oh, uh, okay. You know, there's always so that's why it's it's kind of, yeah, it's on my mind, but other things are on my mind when you work and you make records it's usually not the one that's coming out that is on your mind it's the one you're making now yeah it's more the release process yeah. that's so, on your so mind the rather release, than actual production yeah the, the release process is a game I've played quite a lot and you know like the interviews and like the promo I'm I think I'm in a way I'm lucky because I can answer questions especially written questions very quickly and usually in a way it's you know some people are made for that and some yeah, people sure. are not do you enjoy it at all or is it a chore i always say that you know uh, the interview depends on the interviewer you know it depends on a journalist it doesn't depends on you if you ask good questions it's very enjoyable if it's a chat it's more enjoyable but you know ultimately i've got i mean i've been doing this for i mean the djing and the music for like 20 more than 20 years so you've got it's kind of a almost like you you can feel the questions even before they come, and you've got these little set pieces in my in my mind that always come back. And and uh, I, if someone one day like reads all the interviews I've done, they will be able to <laughs> like uh, see. The, it's not copy and paste. It, I just do it naturally. It's like it's like staples of like my my attitude towards music and DJing so there's little things that always come yeah I mean you could say you're consistent in your thinking I mean that's, that's, that's it that's yeah you know but it is just consistent also in the way of putting it you know like when I say there's only two types of records good and bad that's something that is probably in every interview when people ask you so would you like a, how would you describe your style and it's like oh if 
the day I will describe my style, I'll be dead. That's something that we always come up. Yeah, because I, I don't like describing my style. You know, I think it's it's not. I mean, I don't mind, and we can get into it. But so you it's, get you get this mechanism of like the presentation of yourself, which is part of the job, you know. Yeah, of course. Is this why when you've put out press releases and stuff in the past, the actual genre descriptors that have been attached to the music have always been like super wacky? Well, yeah, that's is, is me that making them kind up. of like kicking against. Yeah, them that's yeah. me making. Oh, you mean the gay biker house or the uh, frozen yeah. balearic thing? You know, yeah. there was some connected to the Fine Line album as well that I can't bring to mind. But oh yeah, it's just fun, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it always comes back to the what and where you're coming from i mean my dad was listening to a lot of music in the 70s and i i started buying records when i was like 12. house music didn't exist so so i and it feeds from so many things in my the musical universe you know there's some music i don't like but then i change you know i I never listened to classical music or very experimental music when I was younger. I kind of do now. And I listen to a lot less of club music. So it's a matter of not putting yourself in your own box. I will leave that to the journalist if he wants to do it. You know, if he wants to describe the record or my style or whatever I'm putting out as this, 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 that's fine. It's just don't ask me to do it. Sure, sure. That's, 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 that's digging your own grave. Kind yeah, of thing, no, no, know? I do understand. It was interesting, though. You'd name check people like Connie Plant, yeah. uh, Martin Hannett, yeah. um, Giorgio Moroder. Yeah. Like, what, what, what have you learned from guys like that? Over well, the I mean, I'm not sure I've learned from them. It's just, well, I mean, actually, I, actually, actually, it's funny that because you, you mentioned, but I didn't write that. Uh, that was some as a friend of mine who wrote all this. So the references is not they're not my well they are mine, but have I learned anything from Connie Plank? No, I haven't learned I've never named. So yeah, it's a fine line. It's something that I always say. That's where the names come from because I always say that. You know, it's a fine line when how do you describe something when you don't want to? So it's all about yeah. hints. So you know, what I mean, if you, if you say if you say Georgia Moroda and you like, I mean, if you listen to the record, it won't sound like Georgia Moroda. Yeah, it's just um, uh, Connie Plank's probably a lot of a stronger influence in terms of. Um, but at the same time, if you say Connie Plank, I mean, if you listen to whole Connie Plank discovery, it's very hard to pin down. You know, mm. uh, maybe the drum sound will be a kind of something, but you know, from Daft to other things, he's done very, very different things. But he was a producer. Producer is is, is, is another thing. You know, it's like you work for other people and you adapt. And that's a game you have to play. But we're trying not to. And obviously, the record is like I, if I would. Like if I would be asked honestly to try and describe the records, I'd be I'd be so fucked. I mean, I've got it's it's very hard to talk about your own music for one, and especially when a the album's got no style and probably there's like three styles crammed into each song, and someone from some from Vice just did the review and he said like it's an album that raises more questions than it gives answers. 
You like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I kind of yeah, like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I kind of like that. The fine line name, um, it seems to be more than just a name in that I looked over an old, I don't know, it was a press sheet or something with um, connected to one of your first mm. records. And there was just this like succession of lines where you're saying things like, it's a fine line between rough and cheap, moody and dark, mm. independent mm. and arrogant. Like, yeah. What, what, I mean, what is this to you? Like, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's the definition of how you can, how you make music and what you want to... Um, express through music as Andrew always says you know if you're not on the edge you're taking up too much space so basically there's two ways you can try and fit or you can want not to fit in any of the styles you know it's I totally respect and I've done it in the past and I probably would do it again I'm gonna sit down and say right I'm gonna make a techno record whenever we've tried that was it's a fine line it always end up ended up like completely like not where we started so I mean then it's about you know it's about the murky waters things that are in between genres you know yeah. which are always things I've always liked personally in terms of other people records I like records that maybe you would think a disco but they're not or you know the mixture of your like rock records with electronics so it's all about that that was the strongest influence bro. all those things where you're not sure exactly where you are mm. or where the listener will be you know and ultimately when you make music you can worry about the listener's reaction that's fair for instance if you're making if you want to make functional music and i think dance music is needs to be functional because he has a function to make people dance in a club you need to worry about that if you're making a record like the one we did you you can't worry about that you just got you know you can worry about other things you just you just want to make the record it was really a conscious decision to make okay we're gonna make the record the way we want I'm not saying we've succeeded because I don't think you ever make the record exactly the way you want. And the way you want changes over time as well. But we you didn't you worry. It like 18 months ago. I mean, how are yeah. you feeling about it at the moment? It's great. I mean, I like it. It's, it's also very hard. Listening to your own music is something I'm not very good at. It's a bit like playing your own records when you're a DJ. Two, no, that's another. Uh, here we go. The quotes. There's two types <laughs> of DJ. <laughs> yeah, there's the two types of DJ. It's not the one I normally say, but it starts the same. Uh, but you know, DJs who play a lot of their own music, I don't. I always have this thing. It's not about because I don't want to self-promote. It's just because I know it, and I don't know. It's just not exciting to you, or something. Yeah, it's not exciting, and and usually the music. Some of the more recent stuff I've done since is a lot clubbier, but it's not necessarily made for clubs. And I don't think in terms of that. And it's a fine line. We were not thinking in terms of clubbing. No way. We were like, okay, you know. And it was also because I was DJing a lot, you know, and DJing, I understand if you're a producer who's also a DJ that you want to make music to play out. I understand that, only I'm in the opposite, because I was DJing so much, making music, and I've always, like, thought of them as two separate things. Like, I'm a DJ, but when I make music, the DJ thing disappears. I mean, I do make club music, but 
I don't sit down and go, right, we need to make something that will be able to play out. Sure. It happens. But is that to do with maybe you hitting, like, your tolerance level? I don't know if tolerance is the right word, but, you know, mm. you, you, you're... You're sort of absorbed in this in club culture and this DJing world, mm. and you get your fill of that. And then when you're in the studio, yeah. you want to kind of like yeah. please yourself in other ways. There's there's that, and there's the fact that for me, music is not limited to dance music or to even like closer to electronic modern dance music. Sure, you know it's not limited to a nine and nine kick. And it's true that you know if you every weekend you're in nightclubs and you hear good music but it's also the same you know it's got this because it's as i said it's functional music and i love it don't get me wrong it's not it's not me like slaying like modern dance music it's just that in the studio i've got maybe other things to say as well mm. i mean but i totally admire people like in the studio i'm at the moment my like studio next door ben sims you know who's and he, that's what he's doing. He's making, and it's great. I mean, you know, he's making functional dance music. And he loves it, you know. And, and I admire it. The setup is different. The way of working is different, you know. So someone like Surgeon's probably my fa- one of my favorite artists uh, in that world. You know, there's like people very, very good at doing that. And I love it. And actually Surgeon's is a lot more experimental than what people think. But, you know, I've got immense respect for not all of them but a few pure electronic modern dance music producers sure it's just not my thing it's for me it's got a lot of rules and it's got a lot you know uh, the kick needs to be that and the thing needs to be that and it's probably because i'm not able to i'm like or it doesn't amuse me to spend hours on a kick drum so that it sounds great in a club I wish I could do that I mean I know how to do that it's you know a lot of people also have their kind of all set up things you know so but you know is that the way I want to make music not really because when we did it's a fine line or even when I do that it's like you make that's the way we worked and that's the way it's still at work we make one track and then we erase everything. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, I mean, I, I think that James Alden, I've got, when he did his album, did that in an extreme way, meaning he would make one track, then would destroy the machine. You know, like the modular. He would unpatch everything, you know, and then build something new for the new track. That's m- closer. I mean, that's an extreme way, and, and I can't do that. I'm not technically able. But that's the idea of, like, you've got a clean slate. It's not the idea of, like, all right, I'm going to... And I don't need to make 20 remixes that sound the same and are going to be great in a club. It's not, it's not me. I mean, my agent tells me that I should, you know. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and bless her, she's totally right. But... I always have the feeling also that if I would start doing that, people would also go, what? Why is he, why is he doing that? Now? Yeah, sure. What? So, you know, once again, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. It's a fine line, yeah. I mean, the name comes from reality. It's not a made-up name that just popped up to my mind. So it's a balance thing. It's a balance also between, you know, getting gigs because obviously you know if, if you want to dj i mean i'm it's the issue for me is different because i suppose 
I'm older and I've got I've got a kind of name. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not making millions millions. I mean, that is for sure. But you know, I can live on it with ups and downs. You know, sometimes this, sometimes that. But you know, people, especially younger, they need to make records in order for them to be played and then to get gigs. I'm a little bit out of that loop. I mean, I still do, and I probably will. But I mean, it seems like um, I don't know something. Maybe I detected in um, interviews I'd read with you is that maybe you had something of like an arm's length relationship with DJing. You sort of <laughs> talked about like you know the loneliness of DJing and how yeah, like, well, you know, functional music no, as a subject yeah. was a little bit tedious yeah. or something. Well, oh, I, if, it, if it translates at that, I'm a bit. I need to tone down then because it's <laughs> not. It's. I mean, I I do like it. But it was more like okay. Let me I do like it, but it's way. not it's all not, good. No, no, of course. But it, maybe you were suggesting that the discourse surrounding ah. cl club music and you know maybe it was more. Oh, that I totally this. agree. I mean, you know, like DJing is very simple. You don't need yes, a dissertation yeah, yeah, sure. on it. Okay. It's just I'm just a guy playing records. Hang on a minute. You know, there's no like absolutely do not believe any philosophy of DJing or like the like the cult of Larry Levan or or you know even friends of mine or Harvey hang on a minute it's just guys playing records okay cool in some ways you know and I don't think it's actually only the DJ when you say oh but Larry Levan he was magic no, hang on a minute it was not only Larry Levan it was Paradise Garage it was New York at that time it was the people it was the records he was playing you know you always forget they always forget that it's like you know it's not it's not the guy the guy's just I mean there's only a limited thing that you can do when you play a record and especially back in those days you know there was no CDJs, no loops, no added thing. You know, it's just like, so I don't think there's like any need to talk about DJing. That's what I mean. Or very little, you know. So what? Then we're going to get into like trick and like, like things. How do I listen to promo? How do I pick up the records? It's like, I mean, that's so boring, you know. DJing is about being in a nightclub and just having a guy sure. playing records for you, you know. But, uh, you know, there are lots of people out there who want to know about that stuff, you know, that would be I do. interested to hear that. Uh, I do, I do. It's just... Um, just for you personally. It's, yeah, um, no, it's just... I always wonder what do they want to know, you know. I mean, things uh, that I always say, you know, like just... Stay true to what you like is like something that is very important. Don't, I mean, no, it might work if you try and like um, copy or if you try and fit in into the sound of now. You know, I know some people who did that really well, you know, or follow the sound that is the sound of now, you know, over the career. They, they also stay at the top. I don't know, it's not my. Uh, it probably comes from my um, lack of ambition or maybe my misplaced sense of ambition. My ambition is um, it's not about making money or about being on the top of the posters sure. of every festival. But it's also not your main thing. I mean, it's not that no. it's not your main yeah. thing, but you've always done lots of things. I would even go as further as to say that music might not be my Ooh. main thing, you know. So what uh, would you say? My, I don't know. It's a combination of things. It's, um, I watch a lot of movies. I'm a, I'm a movie freak. I read a lot of books. I love books. I like records, but most of the records I, I really like, I won't be able to play. Sure. You know? So DJing, I, I, 
I like it. It's great. You know, it's it's probably one of the best shows in the world. You know, it's got its tedious aspects. You know, the loneliness, the the going away. You know, the Friday night moment so where you don't want to. Yeah, the Friday night moment where you don't want to leave. You know, all that, all that, all that is true. But it's still great most of the time. You know, there's bad parties, good parties. You know, but I'm lucky enough at least to kind of be in that circuit which is a smaller circuit in a way where what people expect from me is not fully because that it's also a mess that you always play what you want and that's what people want you know but it's at least quite close you know and uh, like for instance it's really rare that i get booked in the wrong place anymore you know, you don't get that. Or, I mean, when I do any visa, it's a bit weird and things like that. But, and I can adapt, you know. it's DJing is also about compromise, you know, between what you want and the feedback you get. I'm not saying I'm playing for the crowd. Well, you, but see, no, I am. I am. I am playing for the people. You know, don't believe anybody who says he's not. Yeah. And he's a bad DJ. I yeah, think. sure. You know, but I'm lucky to have a crowd that is probably more open-minded to what I'm going to play than others. this point, people know what exactly, you're about and roughly what to yeah, expect. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, it's not it's not a given that, that it takes time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It takes time. I wanted to talk about maybe another fine line, and that was this idea of, um, you know, the dichotomy of uh, bands and DJs. Yeah. Okay, so you're someone who has been like, you know, creating pretty fluid lines between these two worlds. Yeah. You know, you've always been kind of like going between them. It's mm. like, you know, dual identity or something. Have you felt resistance on the club side of things to the idea of guitars playing a leading well, role in dance music? Mm. Is that like a tension that you felt over your career? Well, I, I mean, that was why and we started our own night killer dj and the label in the early 2000s in paris at pulp so we're we're going to use the bad word which will soon be you know which i've had loads of talks about that recently which will soon be the word which is like let's call it electro clash you know let's call it the electro clash days that's why we started that night because we and i especially as a dj was fed up of going to a club and hearing house music or techno all night mm. so it was it was not any all happened i mean it clicked it was it was what we call an era you know it all clicked we opened the night then you know lcd sound system like you know output i was trying to output lcd sound system releasing records there was like a galaxy of people and andrew was like then uh, was leaving the techno world. Weatherall. Yeah, Weatherall. Yeah, yeah was take, was, wanted to leave and starting playing weird shit again. There was that whole galaxy of people who were a bit like me. It was all or different were Errol is another one of like, you know, okay, dance music is not only about house. And it's, it can also be guitars. It can also be, or it can be darker. It, it's not about, it's not only about New York or Chicago or Detroit, which once again, I've got enormous respect for, but A, it's not my culture, uh, as you can see, or people constantly, I'm not black and I'm not from Chicago. And uh, from my culture as a kid, I was not listening to black music. I would be lying if I, if I would say that. 
So there was there was that need for us to express something else. So that's something that stayed. I've seen it go up, like through the roof, probably like for that biggest part of the 2000, at least the first half. Then now it's probably, it's not at it, like it was at its lowest, let's say about two years ago, when like everybody, every single kid, the only thing they want is record, house music record, that I fought against, you know. It was really funny for me yeah, because it was, like, it was like that retro house, that 90s house sound was exactly why I started, it was not against actually because I li- I do like those records, but it was against the dictatorship of one thing in a club. House music had to be about this. Yeah. About if you go back to the, uh, you know, I don't like the word Balearic, but because for me it's linked to an era. But I come from that angle of things, and that two or three years it's coming back a little bit. Things are changing recently, but like two years ago, you know, like that that's. If we were back to what we were when I started. But now you get the mix back. People like Red Axes, you know, who like everywhere are completely doing exactly what we did. Sure. 15 years ago. So, so you're saying at this moment in time, it's a little bit easier to be weird? It is definitely. I mean, there was, I think, the big kind of trend that went from uh, minus to retro house as i call it uh, retro oh, you house. mean minus the label yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. so so the big from like two you know when electro clash ended yeah or died on its own arts because it became i mean he, i mean electro clash was never a thing anyway it was it was about we play what we want but then he became a formula and he became bad and everything i'm, I'm not you know, and I, I don't consider myself. You know, they always call me like they always link me to that. It's fine, but then Minimal House came up. I mean, I was kind of liking it. Also, it came up at the end of the pub and the club, and we had that as well. But like the early days, like like Super Picture or you yeah, know, okay, the early compact days. Yeah, and then then you got Minus and the big Minimal thing, which translated into retro house or whatever you call it like the pure house thing like or the pure techno thing you have two things you have, you have Bergheim or you have 90s Chicago house you know jacking whatever yeah, whatever I okay, call it yeah, yeah. so but I think this year or the last year things are changing and there's so many people listening to different things you can you can avoid that and I'm not part of that thing of that circuit of the big you know the big house thing but I've seen also people who I admire, you know, at some point, um, I had loads of admiration for, especially DJs who, like now, only play like kind of like records that I know and that were big, I don't know, records from the 90s. It's very weird for me, that that whole thing. To hear it coming around again. Yeah, 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 especially that I didn't really like it the first time round. You know, it was already not, what I was into then and it's coming around and it's it's a bit like the vinyl fetishism by young kids and I I understand it because it's an object and you want that but you know I was there the first time round kind of thing I'm like not there's something I love old records but I don't really like when something old comes up and takes all the space I find that I've never played only disco or when like 90s house becomes the thing 
you know. And even records were made now, like they're trying to emulate, and usually badly, the way records were made in 89, where they've got to remember that the way records were made in 89 was in 89, and they were like accidents. It was sure. accidents. Yeah, yeah, so you can't say. copy that. You can't copy what happened in Chicago in 89, mm. you know, because it was an accident. It was something, this, you know, it's the same thing as about the Larry Levan thing. No, it's not about only that. It's about a lot of things. That it's, it's conjecture, you know, so... I don't see the point in trying to emulate something. I mean, if more people were getting it wrong, it might be more interesting. I am a firm believer in that. You know, a lot of my favorite records are records that are wrong or have something. Try they, to do one thing. Yeah, they try. I mean, you know, new music, for instance, which is a pop band, and then they do warp. You know, what is this record? They're like, they're, there's loads of stories, there's loads of examples of like those records were not made to sound like that. Even like temporary secretary, you know, if you read the story, you know, it's, it's just, it was, it was not meant to be like that. And then it's a mistake and then, or, or they forget, they actually forget to play one part of the song. You know, so it's, this is interesting. Or like, you know, obviously the, the birth of like Chicago House, you know, the 303 that people buy for like, so much money these days was like the cheapest piece of rolling equipment it was made for people who could not afford a bass player you know so that comes into the game and the thing that creates you can't emulate that you need to look for what's happening now what's happening now it might be what is feasible with a computer for me is a, a lot more interesting in a way than having an 808 or like looking to have the most vintage, you know, thing as possible. It's um, funny that that pursuit, this thing about exploring the computer, never really seemed to become a widespread ambition or something that was like particularly cool. I think it's because it doesn't look cool. But I mean, people would be very surprised how much of like, the, for instance, it's a fine line record, which I suppose to people, won't sound like a computer record. A lot of it has been made in a computer. But you know what? A computer is a machine. A guitar is a machine. A synth is a machine. You know, and now, especially for the last two or three years, what you can do in terms of sound with a, a computer is getting absolutely insane. And I think people don't like it because they want to have cool modular synths, which I love. Don't get me once again, you know, and I've got a lot of real sins and blah, blah, blah. And there's some things you can do. But the computer, I'm 100 percent sure that if the Chicago guys had access to it in 89, they would have gone for it. They would not have like looked back and said, oh, no, we should try and do this with a real base. The actually the good thing came because they went for what was available and cheap. And at the moment, if you want to make music, cheapest way is a computer where some people then then it goes too far then you get people on you use like loops and sound banks and ready-made stuff and i don't agree with that but that's different but yeah the computer has got this image of like 
oh, it's not analog. Oh, come on. You know, I mean, I don't even want to go into the analog digital debate. Even I wasn't more. intending to go into no, that. No, no, it's, it's probably the most boring thing. And it's a fake debate anyway. Let's talk about your record label. Yeah. It's quite provocatively titled. But I was wondering if this in any way points to conceptual aims or, you oh. know, its its output or anything oh, like that. The, oh, yeah, you mean the Dark Prince image and all that? Yeah, the, sure. The, like the, the, the bad drugs and the Dark Prince. No, actually, that was a joke about that. Because Les Dix de l'Amour... In English, it would sounds like death records, okay? Which which it is. But in French, when you say les disques de l'amour, it also means it's a killer record. I see. Uh, yeah, it's so, the, it's so the, good direct it kills. translation is like discs of death or something. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it's also a killer record. Yeah, I see. Okay. So it was the game because I've got this like reputation or image that is, that is you know, Partly based on truth, but like very exaggerated of the dark, moody, whatever, you know, which now is a character I can slip in if I want to. It was a joke. I think it's a good name. But it's a better name in French than in English, actually. Tell us about the, the people you signed to the label. You, like, you know, who are these people? And yeah, kind of what? I've got it's style of no style or the rule of no rule. Uh, only that I need to like the tracks you know yeah okay there's no there's a few ideas for instance when we do a remix we try to have a different sound than the original rather than you know having things that fit together and i'm not i've got no kind of ambitions of like oh i need to make a big sound or i, or I need to release that many records or this and that it just it just comes quite naturally you know so I haven't got a plan. Do you? I know I've I got mean, album and like I've got things ahead. Of yeah, obviously. of course, of course. And I also like signing people that people would not expect me to. Like if I turn to DJ or the last one, who's a guy from Marseille who used to be in Troublemakers on Guidance Record, like probably one of the labels I hate the most. In my, right, know. I see. Like, like re, was, was this re the one that had the radioactive man yeah, remix that's, on that's it? Yeah, that's exactly the one. He also releases on Honest John. He's a jazz head and African music, which I love, which is like totally not what people think I would put out. And um, I'm going to probably put out his album, which I've just, he just sent me, which is amazing. But like people were like, why is he, why is he releasing a record by that guy? Mm. That's the year to know I've got this thing that's a bit silly, it's a bit childish, the provocation thing, you know. But apart from that, there's no rule. I mean, apart that's, I mean, it's hard. You know, if people want to run a record label, it's not an easy thing. Why do you, you say that? You really rarely make money. It's a labour of love, let's put it that way. Yeah, I see. I know some people do, but I mean, the physical sales these days, you know, people always like, the oh, vinyl is back, vinyl is back. I don't know, you, you know that, but people might not know that. If you look at the sales of vinyl, 90% are actually reissues of big bands like The Wall, Pink Floyd, or the new Coldplay album. Sure, it's not so, people buying new dance music. Well, it is, but that's a tiny, bit, that's, tiny bit, yeah. that's like a thousand labels doing 200 copies. Like the bulk of it is not that. So, yeah. so it's, and if you do 200 copies, you're not covering your costs. You know, the, the limit would be 300. If you do below that, 
you know but then for a lot of people it's a vanity thing as well you know it's and for me it's it's not a vanity thing but i don't mind if i'm going to lose a bit of money on one you know so what's your exact involvement with kill the dj at this point or what's you know your sort of like day-to-day stuff mm. that you're um working on it's always been a and r it's yeah. always been a and r i mean the office is in paris the people dealing so i'm only a and ring probably a bit less now that i've got the other label and i mean it's a different thing here the dj it's more of um like artist development and albums and even pop you know it's even less like electronic music and less and less so i mean i did produce quite a few albums for them as well and that i do as well or what you call executive producer that sure. would be that would be my job usually for the label meaning if we've got a project we've got to find the right way of like doing it after it's out this is i don't deal with that that's um that's the other people mm. is a something that you take a lot of pleasure from yeah, I mean, it depends. It depends. I'm more and more. I, I I quite like the hands-on thing. It's like what comes after the A and Ring. Like yeah. how if you get like a someone who's written great songs on piano or you know has got a weird universe. How do you translate it into a proper record arrangement? That I do with my friend Rupert, who I do Smag and Cross with. You know, like things that have been more um, musical, maybe, or about production, or about thinking how to make this into that. It doesn't mean it has to be me. For instance, the next um, car album, I did all the first ones, and the Baton albums, I did that. And this this time, decided not to. So we looked for another producer, which is Steve Osborne, funnily enough, which is, who's like in the 60s and done Simple Minds and did remix for Happy Mondays. And it's being finished at the moment. And that's really exciting. It's, it's about connecting dots. Sure. And making things... It's sometimes a bit ambitious and you can fail. And I don't know, it's interesting. I like that. The executive producer or like the way, okay, who's going to be good for that? Where shall we take that? Because it's very rare, especially if you deal with album and younger artists, that you actually get an album that is completely finished. Especially if it's songs and songwriting and things like that. Normally, you will have the core of it but you need then to produce it and mix it and that can bring a lot to a record and that is something that interests me actually finding the people it's not very interesting they usually find you you know if if you could buy A&Ring like fighting with other labels over projects or something I don't know yeah it's not I, it's not I mean some people are good at it <laughs> and some people are very good at that but I've I, it's not interesting for me. What is interesting is the, how you take something and bring it to what you think is the best. At first, not even necessarily for the label, but for the project itself. I've got a tendency to think for the project itself. It might be a commercial failure. 
afterwards. That's that's another issue. That's an issue I don't really deal with. You know, well, maybe I should, but, you know, <laughs> uh, you can't <laughs> you choose really. not to. Yeah, I mean, but it's just, yeah. I mean, it, but it's rare that you get something, like, on the Diesel I'm Off and then the Save album, that came as completely finished. But because I knew Mark from Calder and he, he had this record and I know Craig, who's the singer of Paranoid London and who's the other part of Save. And, and I didn't have to do anything there. That was pure A&R. That was like, it was sent to me and I was like, what are you doing with that record? You know, I like it. I'll put it out if you want. Yeah, I see. Straightforward. Sometimes you have great songs and you can f see something in the artist or in the project, but it's not there yet. You need to work. And there must be a particular type of satisfaction to see the potential in something and then help another completely. artist realize completely. it. Completely. And that is a non-selfish thing. And I really like that. That's something I'm really interested in. Have you it's, had any particular rewarding like projects? Um, I mean, to see where cars probably about to go would be, but that's my girlfriend's. So it's a bit, a lot more at stake than that. But yeah, I mean, this new thing, um, Kid the DJ's working on Leonie Penn, which which we're not there yet. But if it goes the way I think it might go, I'd be very happy as well because the. It's very unrelated to what I normally do. You know, she's she writes songs on piano and she's a drummer. You know, it's it's very. What's exciting is when you kind of go out of your comfort zone, but it's trying. So I go out of my comfort zone. Maybe the artist will as well. But you build a team, so to make it work. You know, a good engineer or a good producer. It might not be me. That's something I like, yeah. Yeah, now it's not about signing people and then it's also about, right, I think you should do that or maybe we need to do that and what help do you need? Why are you stuck? Yeah. All of this kind of job I like. Are you heavily involved with the visual direction of the label? Which one? Kid the DJ or both? Both. Um, I just wanted to bring up the subject uh, of kind of like, uh, you know, aesthetics well, and you yeah, know, how you think uh, about it that depends. Side of I mean, Kill the DJ had a very, very strong graphic chart for years, which is changing. I mean, it's a fine line. I had to take it out. I'm very happy, for instance, with the video and the album visual. And that was me and an artist called Gareth McConnell, who's a big photographer. And who's a friend? I mean, he did the video, but but we had the long talk, long talks actually about why his universe fitted into our world. And he spent a, a year listening to the record whilst he was being made, and finding things. And he was a starting point. Was one of his books. And I said, well, I think it really kind of works with the music. And he agreed. He made the movie. Then we did all the choice of the pictures. So yes, the imagery, I'm really interested in. I mean, the Ladies de la Mort is always the same guy, but it's more simple. You know, it's only 12 inches. But when it comes to a proper record, or like my album, like it's a fine line. And it's funny because like uh, after this meeting, because uh, I'm working on the smug and cross thing now i'm gonna go and see trevor jackson about visuals 
is obviously, you know, people don't know that, but apart from being a musician, he's um, like an amazing graphic designer. I mean, that's, that's what he, he did, and he still does. Yeah, so we've, we've had him in here. He's talked about that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, I was I was signed to his label, so now and I'm going back for the other thing. Yeah, I see. You know, I want, I'd like him to take care. But even if I want someone else to take care of it, I'm always very, very interested in the visual side of things. Is there a point at which it typically starts to appear in your thinking, the visual side of things? From the beginning. From the beginning, okay, that's interesting. Even, I mean, I'm a movie freak, probably nowadays even probably more than a music freak in some ways. And I've got this thing that music on the, or track you make or record, it, it's not only about musical influences, it can be movies or images or books or things you've read or things you've been through. So, yeah, the visual thing is, is there from the beginning, always. It, it might not be an image, but I have a tendency to think in terms of image. Uh, like, for me, it's very easy when, like, someone asks for a track by track to give an image for a track. I, it's very easy. It gets, there's like, you know, and the Garris for the It's a Fine Line, it was so strong as a universe, but it fitted. So I need something that fits. And I love talking with designers, if they're good, you mm. know. And it's not necessarily only about graphic design. It's about, you know, giving references and like, uh, this is what I like. And it's also interesting because you need to change with each thing, you know. I mean, it's a fine line. I don't know if you've seen it, but it, like, it's very psychedelic. All the imagery is very psychedelic. So I need to move on from that for the next one. I need to go somewhere else. For the next video? For No, for the next, like, my next project, the other project. I see, I see. So I need to, to completely then like, switch and find a new what, visual world, like a visual world and identity. But it needs to be different. I can't, I can't go psychedelic again. Psychedelic is a fine line. Maybe just as like a finishing note, I wanted to ask you about the future. Yeah. Obviously, an obvious place to end this. But um, mm. are you someone who does plan ahead? You know, <laughs> have you you talked about the next project you have in the pipeline? Mm. But like, are you thinking about long term goals and like stuff that you definitely want to still achieve? No, no, I'm definitely not someone who plans ahead. But I think that's in a way part of the condition of being an artist. Probably, yeah. You know, we don't have any retirement plans. Uh, we kind of do what we like and love. So, if that's it's what you not, mean, it's not a business, you know. It's it, well, a, it is, it is, but it's not. But you're not you thinking know, about it, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the next, the next thing, yeah. I mean, I, I've got this that smag and cross project is going to be the next thing I'm going to work on for a while because. We finished an album. I don't know where I'm going to release it. I did. We did it all on our own, so we're quite free on that. We're doing an ambient album as well for Ransom Note. I mean, we're just finishing it and just doing remixes for a load of people. It's a different way of working. That it's a fine line. It's a lot faster, mm -hmm. and a lot more intuitive. And there's like, okay, well, that's this one is this one. If you don't like it, just do another one instead of like you know, trying to achieve something. Shaping something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different way. It's a different way of working. So that's that. I um, mean, the label is going to go on. The labels are going to go on. But I don't think our uh, goals, 
that's that's a good way to be disappointed if you set yourself goals. I think you know. I'd rather to be kind of um, have a good surprise than like um, you know. I think I should maybe write a book at some point. That's been the ongoing the ongoing affair. That. That's sort of as concretely you'll think about it. Just like, uh, just it no, would be just, something that yeah, would be. It's in me somewhere. Yeah, I I'd see. Say. You know, but by the time I do it, you know, that could be like in 20 years. I've got no clue. So you don't know what it would be about at this point? Certainly not about music. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one thing. Or maybe it will. I don't know. I don't know. It's just I like writing. I like writing, but it takes time. And I'm not there yet. Yeah. It's not ready yet. It's not even ready to come out. I don't even have an idea on what it would be about. I know it's probably will happen. <laughs> 